0: giant robots smashing into other giant robots.
1: This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Chad Pytel, and today I'm joined by best-selling author, entrepreneur, blogger, marketer, Seth Godin. Thanks for joining me, Seth.
0: It is a privilege, sir. It has been It's
1: been a long time. So I'm wondering, you know, you talk a lot about building a tribe, and you specifically wrote a short book called The Dip, that talks about what happens when you build a tribe, um, when you do all that hard work and no one's listening, and uh, how to decide when to quit, when to stay, and strategies for working through that dip.
0: Uh, Yeah, a bit. I'm not sure I would conflate the two books so quickly, but Mm -hmm. I'm happy to start with the dip and then move on to tribes or the other way around, whichever you think is more helpful. So
1: what I think the problem I'm facing or what I'm curious about is, you know, ThoughtBot has been around for 14 years now.
0: Congratulations. Thanks.
1: And all along that history, we've had a philosophy, and we've worked really hard to communicate it. And in the beginning, it was around certain development and design practices. And even so, that those practices then caused us to choose a specific framework in Ruby on Rails. And we were one of the first companies in the world to switch to Ruby on Rails and built a great reputation there and a lot of open source and lately that has been on around how products should be built and a design philosophy and those kinds of things. And we've certainly built a tribe of people who believe that what we believe, but over the years that has become more commonplace. I feel like early on what we were talking about and what we were doing was very novel. And we wrote a playbook and we were able to communicate what we were doing and people gravitated towards it. And I think in a certain part, we were successful in that it's no, no longer unusual <laughs> the way that we work, the specific technologies we use, our approach. It's much more common in the industry. In a sense, we've been commoditized and we've never been the kind of uh, company to cling to the past and be like, well, that's, you know, that's the only thing we stand for. And we've always been growing and changing, but I feel like, I don't know if it's just me being tired (laughs) or that it's happening bigger and faster. Um, I'm working my way towards a question here, but the first one maybe is what do you do when the thing you've had resonate with your audience, with yourself starts to get stale or commoditized and you're not changing maybe fast enough
0: well this is this is a uh, breathtakingly honest question and really uh, generous to the people you're sharing it with so i want to try to address it in a few different ways we're talking about business to business selling mm-hmm. we're talking about crossing the chasm we're talking about the dip We're talking about the evolution and life cycle of a business, and we're talking about the difference between a commodity and something that's worth paying extra for, and they're all wrapped up into one question. Yeah, yeah. And I think we can benefit by breaking it into pieces. Now, I'm going to begin by talking about money. The fact is that selling to a business is different than selling to a person for one big reason, and that is that when you sell to a business, the person is spending someone else's money. Now there are exceptions when you're selling to the CEO or it's a small company, but generally you are selling to someone who's spending someone else's money. Mm -hmm. As a result, they are asking themselves only one question. They're not asking themselves, do I want to give up a fancy dinner to buy this? They're not asking themselves, will I trade this for a vacation? They're asking themselves, what will I tell my boss? And Organizations that sell to businesses that can give a really good answer to that question make easy sales. And ones that don't, that instead rely on RFPs and details and features and benefits, they are in trouble. Because if you can't give me something I can easily tell my boss, then I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. So when you started, you were talking not to the head of web development at Walmart, or the head of web development at the US government, you were talking to organizations that wanted to engage on the cutting edge, that were looking to be early adopters, that wanted to build something that was either unique in the way it was built or unique in the way it worked, because that's what they were going to tell their boss, and that's what they were going to tell the market. There's a long history of the web having more than its fair share of stuff built buy and for early adopters, because that's why we're on the web, to see what's new, to check it all out. And so unlike, I don't know, the business that makes ball bearings, or the business that makes fuel injectors, there's a big reward on the farming of the new that we call the web for being on the cutting edge. So it's possible to surf those early adopters for a while to be the, the cool kid, the new kid. The challenge comes when we realize that in order to continue growing, to earn back the time and sweat and money we invested, we have to move past the early adopters. <clears throat> we have to be able to reach people who want to buy something that actually works to get to the other side. So let's take some famous examples and work through this. When Google started, I was at Yahoo, and Yahoo had 173 links on their homepage, and Google had 2 mm-hmm. And that was a statement, an almost arrogant statement of certainty about the brilliance of their interface, that just tell us what you want, we'll get it for you. Who used Google for the first year? It wasn't the masses. It wasn't your grandmother. It wasn't even your aunt. The people who used Google in the first year were geeks and nerds. And if Google had stuck with those people, what they would have built is the world's most amazing front end for search. But... They wanted to make their employees rich, and they needed to go public. And in order to do that, you can't just sell to early adopters. You have to sell to the masses. You have to have a billion people a day using your search engine, everybody. People who don't even know the difference between a browser and a search engine, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to cross the chasm and go from people who want it because it's new to people who use it because it's the easy one, the basic one, the popular one, the one that works. And when you get to the other side of that chasm, then – everything gets bigger. Now, it's boring for the originator because the other side of that chasm is that's a feature that it's boring. So let's compare Basecamp to Slack. Basecamp is proud of the fact that they have a distinct point of view. As you know, they're deep in the Ruby on Rails thing, but also proud of how they run their business and they're super transparent about a bunch of things. They also refuse to pander. And if 80% of their audience wants something but they don't like it, they're not gonna add it. Mm -hmm. Slack shows up. Slack says, we don't want early adopters. We want everyone. So they make a product that is dramatically simpler, dramatically less featured, but doesn't make anybody feel dumb, Mm -hmm. and it has virality built deep within it. So once they get a few early adopters, boom, it spreads across the chasm, and now the mass market is using it. So there are companies big and small. There are more people using Slack faster than any piece of business software in history because it was optimized to cross the chasm. Yeah. Okay, so the third piece is the dip, which is lots of things are fun to start, and in order for them to get valuable, they have to hit this moment when it's easy to quit. And that's the gym in February. That's organic chemistry when you're pre-med. It's the filter. It's the thing that separates the winners from the losers. And the dip is a grueling Challenge in business. For me, it lasted eight years. For some people, it lasts eight minutes. For some people, it never ends. But at the other side of it, if you come out, you are seen by many as a winner, as the one to go to, as trusted. That lines up with the chasm that when you get through that and you're on the other side, people will buy what you sell. So Heinz Ketchup got through the dip in 1903. And they've been the winner for 114 years after that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of benefit to getting through the dip to the other side. Okay. So now we get back to your question because I'm not going to go into tribes just yet. But to get back to your question, you guys from the start demonstrated that you were thoughtful and generous and insightful. And the early adopters saw you and heard you, got the joke. And if they could send money your way, they did because it made them feel good. To be aligned with someone like you at some point as your resume builds as your list of clients builds you have the opportunity to cross the chasm to sell something to boring companies that want boring development to be able to scale at dramatic levels mm-hmm. the size and frequency of the projects you do but the only way you can do that is by dumbing down your methods and your processes so that more and more people who work for you can deliver high-quality Six Sigma results that match spec because if you're depending on insightful geniuses like you you can't scale that and that's where the dilemma kicks in because the culture of your organization is how do we stay on the the edge because we like being on the edge Mm -hmm. but the business requirements are we got to get off the edge and we got to move to the middle and that's the challenge that's the friction that's the pain and you're gonna to have to pick.
1: We've postponed that, I think, a little bit because our business before was so geographic that when we finally did decide to expand, what we've done is we've created small teams of designers and developers. Like in New York City, we work with New York City-based clients which we didn't really have before. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're attached to the small group of early adopters who were never able to really work with us before. Yep. And now we're in seven cities And we figured out a way to postpone the chasm, and now we've hit it again, which is we've hit a certain size in all of those cities and 100 people across ThoughtBot, and we are certainly feeling
0: that now in terms of
1: moving beyond the early adopters.
0: But you can go back to the the market on the web for early adopter Mm -hmm. technology is big, but it would require you to imagine that you were starting again today. Yeah. So you're going to have to build different stuff in a different way because early adopters are easily bored. So if you pioneered using uh, whatever that magic thing is from Florida, combined with VR, combined mm-hmm. with Apple's new phone, which no one's seen yet, to create magical 3D environments that cost 500000 to a $1 million to develop that no one needs yet but a few companies are thirsting for, then you could do it again, right? Yeah. So, RGA, they're the people who did the Terminator movies and all the high-end special effects that people love in movies. And Bob Greenberg only does cutting-edge stuff. If you want five-year-old animation technology, you shouldn't hire them because they're going to charge you too much. They're not interested. But if you look at what RGA makes today compared to what they made when they made the Terminator, there's no comparison. So they're constantly throwing out electronics and stuff that most people would kill for mm-hmm. because they are committed to always putting themselves out of business. So that's that's why I mean it's a fork in the road. Yeah, You can do what you're doing now but build a front end that enables boring companies to come hire you or you can destroy what you're doing now and go back to your roots of saying, now we're going to do a new thing that everyone thinks is stupid until they realize how good it is. Yeah.
1: What we've tried to do is apply our approach to for example mobile development and take the, you know and we've been doing that for several years now and to a certain extent design as well because i think the it's really important and we have a certain approach but we haven't killed the success <laughs> we keep our legacy going in terms of legacy projects and sure. that kind of thing and Then we end up in a scenario where we're now sort of doing what I've always said we shouldn't do, which is be everything to everybody.
0: Yep. But But it's hard because you you have 100 people. Yeah. Right. If you have 10 people, you just suck it up. Right. So you you may need to make a new division Mm -hmm. and say, I have two companies, and I, Chad, have nothing to do with the company that crossed the chasm. There are 60 of our people, and they are cheaper than they used to be and more productive than ever. Because they know what they're doing. And I got 20 or 30 of my people who are inventing stuff that scares people and that costs a fortune. Have
1: you seen that happen places?
0: Um, Yeah. You know, I think that there's plenty of history Mm -hmm. on the ad agency front of firms that have managed to pull that off. Uh, I think if you look at people who are individual like directors, in movies they will do two or three blockbusters and then go back and make mm-hmm. a personal film because they can figure out which hat they're wearing at any given moment right so Bill Murray famously difficult will alternate between making you know a movie with Sophia Coppola or whatever that he knows is gonna sell tickets and then he'll go make a movie that he knows no one's gonna watch but he can't charge the same for both movies so the idea here is sort of the opposite of that, in that your early adopters will pay extra, but they need to know they're walking in a different door, getting a different treatment, buying a different thing. Yeah. You know, if I think about what Google did with Google Labs, they tried very hard to keep their programmers happy and to keep people like you and me happy by launching things that never are going to cross the chasm. You know, the Google Ngram viewer is a great project if you want cred with early adopters. But at the same time, they intentionally made things like Google Forms super stupid, mm-hmm. so that everyone can use it. So one of
1: the things that immediately comes to mind is, as you describe, and I don't, I, I don't want to throw up objections, so that's not what this is no, about. Oh, please, this <laughs> is helpful. It's helpful. Um, it's helpful for me too, so I really appreciate it. I'm not sure how the team at Thoughtbot would react to. Being like, you are not the group that gets to do the new cool things. That's not the team we've built. And we, we have a culture of discovering new, always experimenting. I think that there would be a rejection to the idea that we need to create a new entity, but at the same time, resistance to killing what we have that's working.
0: Well, I get that. And one could imagine it doesn't have to happen vertically. It could happen horizontally in terms of the way Mm -hmm. people are spending their time. Mm -hmm. You know, if I think about when Apple does things right, the difference between the new super expensive Mac that's going to go running all those cores and everything else, and the next generation dumbed down as cheap as we can make it iPhone, they're made by the same company, right? Yeah. And it's really clear early adopters should buy that new iMac, but nobody else. It will make you unhappy if you buy it. I'd like to believe that some of the same geniuses at Apple worked on both products. So that what you can do is say, we have a ThoughtBot product that lets big companies get what they need, which are dedicated account execs, and people who will not surprise them nor push them too hard to be creative. And Some of our best people chime in on those projects, and we also have these other things we're making, and those cost a different amount and have a different experience. Again, the customer doesn't care which of your people are showing up. They care about which promise you are making, Mm -hmm. and so you can staff appropriately. I think what is really going on, though, is that culturally, you've built an institution that, for really good reasons, disdains the mass market. Yeah, yep. And so you're going to have to figure out who's going to run a division that loves the mass market, or else you shouldn't lie, um, and then don't go there and just say, nope, we're going to have to lay off 30 of our people and go back to being on the cutting edge.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I think the important thing there is doing that in a position of strength is very unusual to people. It's uncomfortable to people. Yep. Yep. And- Personally, it's hard to sometimes lately separate how I'm personally feeling versus how everyone else at the company or how the company is doing, um, which isn't necessarily healthy, but it's something I've been feeling a lot lately in terms of how do we push forward? How do we do this? And am I really actually just saying, how do I push forward? How do I do this? As someone whose identity I feel like is very tied to your work, is that something that you feel too?
0: Oh, all the time. I mean, some people say I'm glib, but I'm not glib enough to have vamped this for 20 minutes without hesitating. It's because I've been telling it to myself for a really long time, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's the challenge that we have is we do this work because we love it and we love our clients and we love the change we're seeking to make. And when people can't hear what you're saying, even after you've earned the right to be heard, it's really frustrating. And, you know, the market right now in the world that I live in has said, we don't want to read books. What's the shortest, dumbest, fastest thing you can give us instead? And I've had to make the difficult decision to say, if that's what you want, I don't have it. Mm. And that was hard for me because I like being able to connect and lead people who are looking for help, but I'm not willing to say, watch this video for 20 minutes and now you will be smart because I don't think that's possible. But there are other people in my shoes who have 10 or 20 times as much reach and influence as I have who are happily telling people stuff that's really glib and they're being honest about it. They're saying, here's some stuff that's really glib, pay me if you like it. And they're paying for it. This is not who I want to be, not what I want to do, and to prepare for that, I only have three or four employees. Yeah, and that was key because if I had a hundred, I'd be sweating right now.
1: Yeah, so you've purposefully kept a small team.
0: Yeah, I mean, I built YoYoDine before I sold it to Yahoo. We had yeah. seventy-five people, mm-hmm. and in the last six weeks before we sold it, we crossed the chasm. We went from a a company that was seth's brilliant inventions implemented by some people to people were buying from us who didn't know who i was and we were adding new clients every single day and it worked so i'm really proud that we crossed that chasm and if we hadn't sold we would have been around for years and years because we figured out how email marketing worked and we had people who wanted to buy it from us mm-hmm. so i know how to do it i just didn't enjoy doing it i enjoyed the other part yeah so i made the commitment to go back to doing the other part. So when I think about, you know, what does it mean for a company like ThoughtBot and I'm trying to broaden this to a larger world to be in more than one city well, does ThoughtBot need to be in more than one city or could each one be a different company? Mm -hmm. What would that be like? Right? Mm -hmm. And does that give you more flexibility and leverage or less flexibility and leverage? Because there's nothing written down that says it has to be this size. And so, when I think about your challenge, the challenge of anyone in B2B marketing is this. There are people who know who you are and there are people who don't. Among the people who know who you are, some of them are looking to make the change you seek to make. You need to intelligently communicate that to them. My guess is you're not doing that as well as you can and there's probably a lot more room for you to grow than you think Mm -hmm. without changing your strategy. Mm -hmm. Then there's this temptation to reach the people who don't know who you are. And that's when the power of marketing leads to frustration. Because what we say to ourselves is if only more people knew, then we could make more change happen. Yeah. But it's distracting us from the people who already trust us. That's probably enough people. There are probably enough people in the world who in their life over 14 years are now at a new company or whatever, who trust you and believe you And if they only realized there was something you could help them with, would hire you tomorrow. And that communication strategy doesn't require shutting an office. That communication strategy doesn't require reallocating people. It might merely mean being even more clear about which jobs you take and which ones you don't. Mm -hmm. About how becoming a Thoughtbot client makes you a hero and how saying you don't want to be a Thoughtbot client identifies you as someone in the middle. And both groups are fine. Right. So I own Newton running shoes and
1: I, I did too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I can't run, but when people see me walking down the street, they think I'm a runner. <laughs> and if Newton ever started selling walking shoes and knocking about shoes, they'd lose because Nike's better at that than them. Mm-hmm. So they can't have the middle. All they can have is the edge and doubling down on the edge that you've got is worth it
1: and i think that that resonates with me and the team we i have this line that that we would rather fail being ourselves than succeed not <laughs> right and i think that that resonates it has that that gets me excited that idea of no let's double down and reach the people who know about us i think you're right that there are lots of people out there who already know who already believe
0: exactly and yeah. so if you did that if you said all right We're all on this boat. If we're serious about this, what do we do? What would be the audacious breakthrough technical work that we could do that would once again establish us the way we were established 14 years ago? What's the stuff we could do that might not work, that if it worked would be breathtaking? Mm -hmm. So if you think about Jeff Koons, Jeff Koons, the most successful artist living today, has gone through near bankruptcy at least three times. That he does a bunch of art and everyone says it's stupid and that he's sold out and then it becomes, <laughs> then it becomes super popular. He gets bored with it and then he goes away for two or three or four years. And while he's gone, he spends 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollars building something new with no income whatsoever. And if it doesn't work, he's dead. I mean, when, when he came out with the balloon animal thing, that was the work of a hundred craftsmen. And if it hadn't worked, he was gone. That was Mm -hmm. it, over. And he does it again and again because he's an artist. And when I saw his show at the Whitney, because I didn't have a lot of respect for him before I saw the show. But when I saw the show, I thought, yeah, he's an artist. He's not Michelangelo using his fingers, Mm -hmm. but he's an artist. And you're an artist, Chad. And so the question is that same set of breakthroughs that you made 14 years ago that everyone said were foolish, how could you put that hat back on again? What would they be now? And that's what it would mean to dig in and do this again and then figure out how to communicate that to the probably, I don't know, 20,000 people you've served in 14 years so they could tell their friends so it could be a highlight so it could spread because the world has changed a lot in 14 years, as have you guys, Yeah. but maybe the narrative we have of you hasn't changed.
1: Yeah. That's really helpful. I really appreciate it. And I hope the listeners do too. (laughs) Um, so I'm subscribed to your blog and saw Alt-MBA when you announced it and was thinking that that might be good for me. <laughs> um, boy, this podcast is turning out much more personal than I expected. <laughs> if uh, you
0: don't want, if you don't want to run it, I'm fine. No, with you no, never. It's, it's
1: okay. So maybe you could tell me more about Alt-MBA and who it's meant for, and we can determine whether it's, it's right for me. <laughs>
0: There are two problems people have when they discover something like the Mm Alt-MBA. Either they don't believe it's going to work or they do believe it's going to work. And either one is a problem. Mm. Because if you don't think it's going to work, then you're going to feel stupid having spent $3,000 and worked every day for a month because you didn't get anything out of it. And I totally get that. But if you do think it's going to work, that means you're going to see the world differently. That means you're going to have to change things. That means things you're afraid of might happen. That means that the world isn't going to be what you're comfortable with. That's another good reason not to take something. So what's happened is the Alt-MBA was built for people like you, for freelancers, for nonprofit organizers, uh, we've had the co-founder of Pencils of Promise. We've had people from the Red Cross. We've had people from Google and Microsoft and Apple and chibani Yogurt. We've had 1,400 people go through it. 96.5% of the people who start it finish it, and we have 100% unanimous positive feedback. We have testimonial after testimonial from people who say it changed the way they see things. That's why we built it. We want to change how you see, change how you make decisions, mm-hmm. and make it easier for you to persuade other people that you're on to something and we don't do it with video because it's not a it's not a content course it's a project course Mm -hmm. and it runs in slack and wordpress and zoom conferencing and we put you in cohorts and we move the cohorts around and we have coaches from all over the world every one of our coaches is an alumni and so you're being held accountable you're giving feedback you're getting feedback it's an hour two three four hours a day for a month and it's transformative. That's why we built it. And we don't want to make it big. We just want to make it good. So we only run two cohorts at a time, 240 people. We only run it four times a year. And we have a waiting list because it works. And could I make it 10 times bigger? I probably, but that's not why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. We're doing it because when I meet in Denver, I had breakfast with 16 grads last week. And I meet these people and they're from all walks of life one guy came down from alaska one woman was a teacher somebody else was a nurse one guy had a software company somebody else is building a political movement but what they all had in common was they were ready to ignore sunk costs and to leap forward so that's why we built it and then after the success of that i built the marketing seminar which is totally different Mm -hmm. because people said they want content so i gave them content 50 videos but i insisted on keeping the discussion part and the idea that after every video you connect with these thousand or two thousand other people about how it changed you so based on the conversation we just had the alt MBA would help you ignore some costs because you have a lot of them and help you see what choices there are to make and mm-hmm. what's possible and the marketing seminar I hope would give someone in your shoes an easier way to visualize the chasm To understand what i mean when i talk about tribes and to figure out the empathy and i'm not saying you're unempathetic Mm -hmm. but the empathy for in your case the business to business buyer what is it like to be number four in a 40 person organization and have to go to the ceo and say we're paying extra for this web development but it's worth it and here's why That's a really hard conversation to imagine if you're the CEO because you're not number four and you're not the seller, you're the buyer. But marketing today, is not about slogans and logos. It's about this empathy, this humility to say, I know you got a lot of choices, an infinite number of choices. We're not number one in SEO when you type web development and that's fine, but you would be disappointed if you didn't consider what we have to offer. And that Story that you need to tell is going to unlock the next 40% of your business.
1: Mm-hmm. And you said that the Alt MBA is project based.
0: Right. There's four, 13 projects. Yeah.
1: So everyone does the same projects? In groups. Yeah. What kind of projects are they? They're not development
0: products. No, no. There's no. We don't code. Right. Um, you know, I could tell you all the projects, but then I'd have to invent new ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Problem. Right?
0: So, but the, the idea of a, of a project is. Talk about how you are seeing part of your world with four other people Mm -hmm. and listen to how they're seeing that same part of their world. And then as a group of five, describe for the rest of the people here a useful way for all of us to see that issue. And then everyone will come back to you with their comments on what you said. And then you will take their comments and incorporate it into a new way to think about that. And so these projects revolve around how we tell stories how we see the world, how we persuade people, how we make change happen. And the act of the meta conversation around the conversation Mm -hmm. enables us when we get back to the real world to have those same conversations with other people, right? So some of it is people hear me talk on a podcast the way I just talked to you, breaking down your problem without actually understanding it. Mm -hmm. And we teach people how to do that. And it's really helpful because all of us have problems like that all the time. How do you work with your team to see how to live with change on purpose as opposed to just tolerate Yeah.
1: Well, thanks so much. Is there anything else I should be asking you about that I haven't?
0: Well, you know, I just want to chime in because lots of people listen to podcasts, but first of all, they don't understand how hard it is to make one all the time. Mm -hmm. But secondly, Thoughtbot has been such an upstanding citizen, and there's a, a lack of citizenry in too many organizations, because we're under pressure, so we cut corners, or we just hire the cheap person, or we don't invest in interns, or we don't move forward. And Thoughtbot has been a role model. I I mean, I've known of you guys for, it's like seven years now. And I just want to chime in and say thank you, because it's this showing up, that's at the core of who you are, so thank you.
1: Thank you so much, (laughs) I really appreciate it. You're welcome. That about does it. This is another episode of the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. This episode was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. You can find show notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm slash 244. Thanks for listening.